weeks from now, I'll be able to say good morning and get a few people in here, hopefully the whole uh, place filled full of people saying good morning back to me. But we are on week, I think, five of the what I would like to call the lockdown live. And uh, it, it amazes me how at first this was very, very frustrating, and it still is in a lot of ways. But I was just on Facebook uh, right before I came up here, and I was scrolling through, and it amazed me that there was church after church after church. <laughs> I could keep on going. Everything on Facebook was church. And on every live stream, there was 30, 50, 90, 100 people watching. It's a, and that's a testament to what God can do, take a bad situation and turn it very, very good. He's taken, and I know we're empty here today, and it's hard not to be at church with everybody, but he's taken every house in, in our area, I know, and many houses across America, and turned the houses into houses of worship. And that's how God can take and turn a bad thing into a very good thing. People are having worship, having church in their own homes right now, and that's a wonderful thing. And it, and it makes us desire to be here, but it's good that we can do this at home. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like for you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. And that's just where we've been studying, and we'll keep on going in that direction. And we'll just do the next section, verses 46 through 50. And Jesus is going to answer a big, and I underline that big, big question for us today. And the question is, who is in his family? And that, that is a big question. Who is in God's family? And even more important, I'll say better yet, is who are you in God's family? The world says everybody is in the family of God. But what does Jesus say? Who is in God's family? And the answer may surprise us. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up to Matthew chapter 12. We'll look at verses 46 through 50, a kind of obscure passage of Scripture today. Maybe some of you have never heard this passage before, but we're going to preach it, and we're going to look at it and answer that question, who is in God's family? Starting in verse 47, verse 46, I'm sorry, verse 46, the Word of God says, and while he, Jesus, yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him, that told him, Who is my mother, and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples, and he said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. So there he describes who is in his family. So let's pray together and then we'll look at who is in God's family. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that it, it is not held captive, it is not bound, but your word still goes out. Even in the, the hardest of times when we are locked down, when we are isolated, when we are quarantined, your word is going out today further and into more ears than, than ever before. It's going across the airwaves to people who have never heard your gospel before. You are using this to reach multitudes of people. And God, I'm, I'm encouraged by that. And I pray that you'd use this passage here today, that it would go again into ears, and that you would open their ears, and they would see that they are not in your family, and they need to be a part of your family. And God, for our people, the church people that are listening here today, and I'm so thankful for them. I miss them. And God, this sermon is for them. This sermon is for us, that we would see the amazing privilege and the amazing blessing that it is to be called a member of your family. So God, help us here today. Help me as I do my best to present these marvelous truths. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I'm going to open up with a question, how does God describe his people? 
And he does it in many different ways. There are several ways. I even looked it up this week. I wanted to see the images that he used, the word pictures that he gives us, the metaphors that he uses to describe his people. He does it in the Old Testament in a description of Israel. And then he does it in the New Testament in giving us a description of Christians. And he uses these marvelous, beautiful, wonderful, precious terms to describe his own people. Because one word, one term, one metaphor, one description isn't good enough to describe the people of God, so God gives us multiple. I mean, just one after the other after the other. And it would be a good series for us to just go through all those terms that he uses, all those metaphors, all those word pictures that he gives us to describe who we are as God's people. And I'm going to give you a couple of them today just to kind of give you some idea of what they are. And I want, as I name these, I want you to pick your favorite. What is your favorite term that God uses to describe his people? Here's a couple of them, and then I'll give you my favorite. And, and, and my favorite's the right one. So, but here we go. I think mine's the best. I mean, you can't get any better than the one that, that I like. So here, here's a couple. Pick your favorite. He calls us his sheep. I mean, that's a pretty good one. John 10 says that Jesus comes as the, the good shepherd to lay down his life for his sheep, and we are called his sheep. We are uh, pictured as a, a scattering, uh, dumb, lazy animal that needs a shepherd to keep us close. And that's a good image, but I, I, I'm, not, I'm not big on it. It's good, don't get me wrong, but it's not my favorite. And then we are called his body, that Jesus is the head of the body, and we are the members. That's a pretty good one, that Jesus is, is the controlling part of us. We all have our purpose, and we all have our place in the body. I mean, some of us may be a little finger, some of us may be a, a little toe, but we all have our place in the body. So he describes us that way. That's a good one. He describes us as a bride. I think that's the most beautiful one that he gives us. That we, he is the groom and we are the bride of Christ. That's good, but for me, that's not very manly. Don't try to picture me in a, in a, a wedding dress. So bride, I'll give you another one. He gives us, calls us branches. That Jesus is a vine and we are the branches and we are interconnected to him. And all of our fruit comes from being connected to Christ. He calls us his kingdom, that he is a king, and we are the citizens of his kingdom, and we abide by his rule and his law, and we bow down and we follow him. That's another good one. All these are beautiful. All of them are meaningful, but you're you ready for my favorite of them all. It's not the sheep. It's not the body. It's not the bride, the branches, or the kingdom. It's not the salt. It's not the light. I can go on. It's not soldiers. That's a good one. The best one is family. You can't beat that. For me, to be called in the household of God, it is by far, by far, the most precious and the most personal and, and the most privileged of terms that we could ever use to describe Christians. I, I love that term. For, again, for me, it's, it's personal, that I'm not a stranger, but I'm a son. That I'm not a citizen, but I am close. I'm, in, I'm close to the Father. That I'm not outside, I'm on the inside. That's by far the most personal of the terms describe, describing us. Not only that, but it's precious. There's nothing as precious as the family. I love my family with all of my heart. And there's, there's nothing like being at home with your family. And when you're at home with your family, this is, what, this is what it's like for me. I don't know what it's like for you, but it's so precious in that that's where I belong. I walk into that house and I can be myself and there's comfort, there's love, there's acceptance, there's warmth, there's protection. I'm a part of that family. They love me. I love them. We are in a family. There's nothing more precious than being in a family. I'll give you another one. 
And I think this is the best one. To me, it's not only the most personal and the most precious, it's the most privileged. There's nothing in the world like being in the family of God. The greatest privilege in the world, and that is the, the main theme of this sermon today, the greatest privilege in the world, the greatest blessing in the world comes from belonging to the family of God. And that's what Jesus is, is using here today. He uses that term, that, that description to describe his followers. And, and, and Jesus uses this term here because he knows, he's grown up in this, in this culture, that family is the most important thing in this culture. There's nothing that comes before family. The family is everything to the Jews. So he knows how important, he knows how precious, he knows how personal, he knows how privileged it is to be called a part of a family. I've had people in the church tell me that before. Josh, you're like family to us. And that's the best thing anybody could ever say to me. And Jesus here looks at his disciples and says, you're like family to me. And I can't, I can't, I look for words, I look for illustrations that are trying to describe how big a deal that is, that these disciples who are, have been with him for under two years now, they're fishermen, they've been following him around, and here he looks at them and says, you guys are like family to me. For God to call us like family is the most precious, the most personal, and the most privileged term to describe who we are. It should melt every one of our hearts to be called the family of God. And that's what Jesus uses here again. He says, here is my true family. Here is who is in. Here is who is out. Here's who's a part and here's who isn't. He says, here's who is my family. And then at the end, you see in verse 50, we'll get there at some point. There's going to be an invite to be a part of the family of God. That it's not just this special little group that gets to be the family of God. But in verse 50, he says, whosoever wants to be a part of my family, you can. What a marvelous passage this is. So let's look at it. And may you see for yourself what a privilege it is that you are a part of the family of God. And may those who aren't a part of the family of God, may they see, and may they desire, may they want to be a part of the family of God, because there's nothing, nothing like it in the world. So I've broken this passage down into, again, as you guys know, some of you guys are new to us, following us on Facebook instead of being here. I'm a three-point preacher, so almost every sermon is going to have three points broken down, just to make it easier for us to, to break it up. So I'm, I'm giving you three points here that I want to show you in these verses, and I want to start with, as we look at who is in God's family, I want to show you the, the intervention by his family. The intervention, I know that's a big word, but I think we all know what an intervention is. That you have somebody in your family who is in trouble, who is in danger, who's doing something to harm their, their lives or themselves. And the family comes together and says, if we don't do something, if we don't intervene, if we don't step in and stop it, they could lose their life. So you stage an intervention. That's what his family's doing here. They're staging an intervention for Jesus. Jesus says in verse 46, while he, Jesus, was talking to the people, it's the same crowd that he's been talking to. If you've been with us for three chapters, he's been having a, an ongoing conversation with the same group of people for it seems like forever. I mean, I looked at it earlier. I preached, uh, it looks like, since January in these three chapters, just on one after the other after the other of Jesus having this conversation with the Pharisees and with the scribes. And it's, been, it's not been a good conversation. It's been very heated. 
It's been a heated controversy where Jesus calls them out for the way they're living and the, the laws that they have, have put over God's law. He calls them out. He, he tells them where they're wrong. He calls them uh, 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 snakes. It's, it's been heated. And then they turn around and look at Jesus and they say, well, you're of the devil. You're of Beelzebub. You cast out demons by, by the power of Satan. So they've been going back and forth and back and forth. It's been boiling up. It's been heated to the point where in chapter 12, and you can look there, chapter, not chapter, yeah, chapter 12, verse 14, the Pharisees went out and held counsel against him how they might destroy him. There's a plot to kill Jesus. They, they've had enough. They've had it up to, to here with him. I, I know how that feels being in a house isolated with four kids and, and they're running around like crazy and can't do anything. And you, you look at them and say, I've had it up to here. I want to do something now. And the Pharisee says, I've had it up to here. We're going to kill him. They're after him. He's in danger. And his family hears about it. And if a, fa if a family member hears that you're in trouble, that you're in danger, that your life is at risk, and they're a good family, they're going to back you up. They're going to come to help you. They're going to come to stop it. They don't want nothing bad to happen to you. So that's what happens here. It says, while he yet talked to the people, while he was going back and forth, while the, the conflict was stirring, while the controversy was heated, while it was boiling up to the point of, of they're going to kill Jesus. Behold, his mom and his brothers showed up. You kind of think that his brothers showed up and said, you mess with him, you mess with me. And that's his family. His mother, they're married. He also had four brothers. Scripture tells us that he wasn't an only child. He had four half-brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Jude. He also, Scripture says, had at least two sisters and maybe as many as three. So Jesus comes from a very big family where he had six or seven brothers and sisters. And here they are showing up while Jesus is in trouble. And what are they thinking? Are they coming to defend him? Are they coming to back him up? Are they coming to, to get behind his back and say, you mess with Jesus, you mess with me? Is that what they're doing? No. They show up and they think Jesus has lost it. I can give you proof. Mark 3.21 says his brother said he is beside himself. They think that he's nuts. They think that he's a, to be beside yourself means that you're a lunatic. They've heard all these stories about Jesus going back and forth with the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes. They've heard what he said. Maybe they, they've even taken it out of context and, and the rumors have been spreading. But they listen to what they've heard and tell me what you would think if your sibling said this about themselves. He's correcting the experts of the law. You don't do that. He's greater than Jonah and Solomon. Is that what he's saying? My brother? He thinks he's God. What? I mean, can you imagine what these brothers are thinking when they hear that? He's greater than Solomon, greater than Jonah. He thinks he's God. Our mom already says he's perfect. I mean, a little bit, a little, little Mr. Perfect over here. Jesus never done anything wrong. We're getting whipped, and he's over there never doing anything wrong. He does everything that he's told what he's told. Perfect little Jesus. So they think he's out of his mind. They don't believe in him. So they show up, listen to this, to rescue him, to intervene, to look at Jesus and say, stop it, Jesus. 
You're going to get yourself killed if you keep saying these things and, and doing these things. Stop it! You've gone nuts! You're a little off your rocker. Don't say that, even if you believe it. They've come to save the Savior. And that's why they come, and look what it says. While he had talked to the people, behold, his mother and brethren stood without, and they desired to speak with him. They've come to, to stop him. And for Jesus, this is one of the hardest moments of his life. Because he had been in opposition with the Pharisees, with the crowds. It had gotten ugly. It was harsh with the things they were saying about him, that he was of the devil. And they wanted to kill him. That, that's hard. You, that's, a, that's a tough opposition to face. Those on the outside, they may think you're crazy. And they, they, they may want to get rid of you. And they may say all kinds of evil things about you falsely. Now, that may happen from the outsiders. But when his brothers and his mother and his sisters show up, that's worse than the outsiders. That's the insiders. That's those that are closest to Jesus who are showing up and they don't believe in him. And, and they want to stop him. It's not just the outsiders. It's now the insiders. It's not those that are furthest away from him. It's those that are closest to him that are now trying to stop him. They're pulling away. They're not out to kill. They're not calling him demon-possessed. But this hurts worse than anything he faced. There's now a tug of war in Jesus' heart. His family pulling on one side saying, stop what you're doing. And on the other side, he knows what his Father in heaven is telling him. There's a pull in his heart. The heaviest cross to carry. The hardest opposition to face is from those who are closest to him. And those who are closest to him are pulling him in the wrong direction. That's what he's facing. And I'm going to apply this. I know you're sitting there thinking, okay, good story. This is the opposition we'll face. This may be the opposition that you've already faced. It's been said that the hardest place to live the Christian life is around family. It's around those who are closest to you. You say, Josh, what does that look like? Because we live in the Bible Belt and everybody's Christian and nobody gets mad at you. But listen to this. It may, it may turn into this and it has in, in most, in, in throughout church history and most cultures even today. This is what we get. They won't understand us. They may call us crazy. And why would they call us crazy? For our commitment to Christ over everything else. That Christ is up here and everything else falls underneath that. That we love Jesus more than we love anything else in the world. And, and people will look at us and say, that's a little crazy. Our family may look at us and say, what's he doing? They may call us crazy for our stand for what's true and what's right. We may have family that calls us crazy when we say Jesus is the only way of salvation and that all the other religions are wrong and will send you to hell. And they're going to look at you and say, well, that's awful narrow-minded. Who makes you the judge and the jury of where people are going to spend eternity? But the Bible, and we turn around and say, but the Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man gets to the Father but by Him. And they look at us and say, oh, that's a little crazy. And you're pulled by family, and you're pulled by what's right. How about this one? We're getting this more today than ever. We stand up and we say marriage is between one man and one woman. 
That's how God designed it. That's how it's meant to be. And anything outside of that is wrong. Well, you're being mean. You're being judgmental. Who gives you the right to say that? You've got family pulling at you at the Thanksgiving t dinner table or at or Christmas or at birthday parties. And, and you're saying what's true and you're saying what's right. And families over here are saying, no, you're crazy. Stop that. It's unreasonable. And you can go even further. We say going to church is important. I, mean, I, I know of friends and family that say, oh, you can be a Christian but not go to church. And you've got family saying, oh, you don't have to go to church. What's the importance of church? Why do you go to church three times a week? Why do you go all the time? Why do you give to that place? Why do you love that place? Why do you miss that place? And you're sitting over here, you know what's right. i got to hurry. I've had people, close people, call me crazy for thinking there's going to be a difference from before you were saved till after you were saved. That you can make a profession of faith and live however you want and do whatever you want and you're going to be perfectly fine. But the Bible says there's going to be a difference that old things have passed away and all things have become new. And you're saying, no, this is right. This is true. Family say, no, it's not. No, it's not. You're crazy. Maybe some of you have had that same thing happen to you. But with, why do you go to that church and listen to that preacher down there? He's crazy. And they're probably right. He's crazy. How can you listen to him for an hour? Do you know what he believes? Do you know where he stands? How can you do that? It's a tug of war. And it's not coming from the outsiders. It's not coming from the media. It's not coming from celebrities. It's not coming from atheists and agnostics and Muslims and Hindus and Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. It's coming from those in your inner circle. In Pilgrim's Progress, when Christian, the main character, was walking away to go on his Christian walk, his opposition was his wife and his kids hollering, Come back! You're crazy! It'll be hard. It'll be constant. And the greatest area of compromise in Christianity is when family pulls us away. But if this is happening, happening to you or will happen to you, understand you're in good company. Because Jesus felt the same pull on his heart. Nobody says it'll be easy. The hardest thing in the world is when those who you love the most are pulling you away. And telling you you're wrong and telling you you're crazy. Jesus felt that pull, that tug on his heart. That he had those closest to him pull this way. And the farther pulling him to the right. So the question becomes, what does Jesus do? Which way does he go? Does he stay where he's at and do the Father's will? Or you, and I think you guys know the answer. Or will he be pulled away by his family? And again, the family was the closest bond to them in that culture. So when family asked you to do something, you did it. So what's Jesus going to do? There is the first point, the intervention of his family. Now let me show you the identification of his true family. The identification of his true family as he IDs, points out who his real family is. Watch what happens. Jesus is interrupted. Says then, then one, they, they sent a word up to tell him, your mom and brothers are here to speak to you, Jesus. Jesus up there preaching and he hears, your mom wants you, Jesus. And it gets to him. And his answer may shock us. 
we were in that culture and we heard what he said, it would shock us. It would surprise us. Because he looks at him and he says, verse 47, then one said to him, behold, your mother and your brother stand without wanting to speak to you. And that's my translation of it there. But he answered, and he said unto him, the one that told him. It's a rhetorical question to make people think, to draw an answer out. I do that sometimes when I preach. I'll ask a question just to make you think. Start getting an answer in your mind. Jesus was a master at this. So he says, he says this question rhetorically to, to get them to think about. He says, who is my mother? Who are my brethren? He's not asking who it is. He knows who his mother is, Mary. He knows who his brothers are out there. He gets that. What he's asking here is, and what our question for the day is, is who is my real family? Who is truly in the Father's family? That's what he's asking. Who are my real brothers and sisters? Who is my real mother? Is it those who are on the outside looking in, or is it these on the inside who are seated at my feet? Is it my own flesh and blood that I've known my whole life, grew up with, worked with, everything with, or is it these fishermen that I just met a year or so ago? Who is my real family? You see the tug of war there? Is it them, or is it these? Who is in God's family? That tug of war is going back and forth. So without reading ahead, I know you, you, it's hard for you to do that. Who would you say is his real family? Who would you say is your true family? It's almost as if, and I, I, I don't like doing this. But if somebody walked up to you and they had your mom and your dad here and your church family here, and they said, who's your real family? Who's your true family? Which one would you say? It would be shocking for you to say, of course it's the church. Everybody would look and say, whoa, seriously? And when Jesus says here, and I want you to understand this, Jesus loves his family very, very deeply, more than any of us have ever loved any member of our family. When he's dying on the cross, what's on his mind? And you can turn there. He looks down at John and says, Behold, this is your mother now. Take care of her. She's on his mind. He honored her. He respected her. He revered her. He is our example of how a son should treat his mother. Nobody loved his family like Jesus loved his family. What an example to us. He loved his family more than you love your family. He loved his family more than I love my family. So when he says this, he's not being cold-hearted. He says, with an eye of affection, looking at these men around his feet, with a hand, it says there in verse 48, verse 49, and he stretched out his hand, to point at them, just so you don't get it mixed up. He's not doing... No, he said, just in case you don't see it, here's who I'm looking at, here's who I'm pointing at. And he points his hand at these disciples who have been following him. And he doesn't say, mom and brothers and sisters out there. He says, behold, these are my brothers and my mother and my sisters. This is my true and real family. Wow. My real family is these disciples. 
pass that word back to his mom. I mean, can you imagine that? Jesus says, here's my family. And somebody starts whispering it back to the back of the crowd to Mary. He said the disciples are his family. What is Jesus doing here? Understand this. He's not renouncing his family. He's prioritizing his spiritual family. I'm going to say that again because that, that, that's a huge point here. He's not renouncing. We are not to renounce our physical family. But he's prioritizing his spiritual family. Now that's, that's a great point that Jesus is making here. He's prioritizing them. His strongest tie is not to, because the strongest tie at that time was to physical family, and nothing broke that tie. And Jesus here is saying, I have a tie to my physical family, but my strongest tie is to my spiritual family. He's prioritizing the, the heavenly over the earthly, the spiritual birth over the physical birth. It's unmistakable what Jesus is saying here. Unmistakable. You can have both. You can. And we need to, to have that because we want our physical family to be in our spiritual family so that they're both. What a blessing that is. We can have both. But if I have to choose, this is Jesus speaking. If I have to choose between the physical and the spiritual, I'm going to choose the spiritual every day of the week and twice on Sunday. These guys are my family. You say, okay, that's Jesus. What about us? Josh, apply this to us now. How do we do that? Are you saying <laughs> the church is more important than my physical family? Let me show you what I'm saying. Family is, I want you to get both, both of these points here. Family is important. God in his infinite genius established and created and gave guidelines for the family. And the family is on the top of or should be on the top of all of our priority lists. It should be. It's my job as a husband to, and I wrote down a few things, to lead my family and to love my family, to provide for my family and to protect for my family, to guard my family and to, to guide my family. There's nobody that loves their family as much as I do. I love my kids. I love my wife. I love my sisters. I love their kids. I, I love my mom and my dad. I, I love my family. I love my extended family, even to, into Steph's family. I, I love family. Family is so important on my priority list. It's up there, man. It's as high as it can get. Family is important. And when we, and when we should do this, when the church focuses on the family and builds strong families, the church is stronger, the nation is stronger, and when we take our eyes off the family, things fall apart. So the family is, and I want you to get this, somebody's going to quote me out of context and say, Josh doesn't like family. No, 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 no. Family is so important. On the priority list, it doesn't get much higher than family. I'll fight for my family. I love my family. And you do too. We're family oriented. But, and you knew there's a but there. Jesus is more important. Family is important. And on the priority list, it goes like this. Jesus. Family. And if we ever get those things, this will probably be the screenshot that ends up on our video. <laughs> Jesus, family. 
We seem to be very bad at prioritizing things in the right way. Jesus, family. And if we ever take family and put it over Jesus, we have made family an idol that we love and worship more than we do Jesus. Jesus had his priorities right. The Father's will and the spiritual family was greater than his physical family. Get this. When we put Jesus first, his business and his relationships, it makes the physical family so much stronger. If you want a strong physical family, you prioritize Jesus and his family. That's what he's saying here. The highest priority in life is Christ. And write this down. The strongest bond in life is spiritual. That's what he's saying here. He did it as a 13-year-old in the temple. His mom and Joseph came to look for him and said, I must be about whose business? The father's business. And here when his, mother's and his mother and his brothers show up and they ask him to come along, come back to, 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 to safety, he says, I must be with my spiritual relationships and not my physical ones. We can have both and we, we desire it to be one and the same. I love that, that my family, and I love that, is a part of my spiritual family. We should want that. That they, that, that, that they become a part of the family of God too. But our allegiance must be, and our loyalty must be to Christ above all else. He is the priority. The spiritual family over the physical family. And experience says, just from my own experience of, of living uh, as a Christian, I've seen many, many, time and time again that have ultimately chosen family over Jesus. And I've seen time and time and time again where people get pulled away because their priorities are wrong. I'll give you a couple verses just to hammer this in before we move to the last point because here's where he uh, identifies his family. But let me give you Matthew 10, 34 because he, he's repeated this. You say, Josh, this is just a, a, a place by itself. This is the only place that he says this. No, in chapter 10, verse 34, he says, Think not that I've come to send peace on earth. I'm, I came not to send peace but a sword. For I've come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and the man's foes shall be they of his own household, his own family. You want another one? I probably had some people turn me off on this one. This, ain't get, this don't get preached much. Luke 14. You don't have to turn there. Let me turn there, and I'll, I'll read it to you. Luke 14. Verse 26. If I can find it. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and he said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And when he says hate, what he's saying there is you, you've got to put them, even your own life, underneath following me. 
So there is the, back to Matthew 12, there is the identification of his family. So first we saw the inter intervention of his family, then we saw the identification of his real family, his true family, his spiritual family, and lastly, I want to give you the invitation to be a part of his family. Because that's what he closes with on verse, uh, in verse 50. He's already said there, and, and I could read the whole passage to you again, but he says, Behold, my mother and my brethren, and everybody is in shock and awe. These guys are his family? What is that all about? And then he looks at him and he says, For, and you've got to love this word, because the, the offer here is free. He says, For, and underline this. I mean, this is an unlimited offer. There's no limit to who can be a part of his family. He's not sitting there saying, these guys, and only these guys, are a part of my family. He says, and any of you guys can be a part of my family. What an offer here. What a great word. Whosoever. I would underline it. I would highlight it. I would put arrows pointing at that. Anybody out there. And I'm looking at you. I can't see your face, but I'm looking at you. You're looking at me. You are a whosoever. If you want to be a part of the family of God, you can be. That's what he's saying here. Whosoever. If anybody wants to. Whoever. What a, what a great word. Looking at the crowd. Looking at his family on the outside. And giving an all-inclusive invitation to the family. To be a part of the family. You know what this is? And, and, and I, I've written it in my Bible. But under, I want to underline whosoever. I, I, I draw little pictures. And the picture that I drew here is of a welcome mat that goes at the front door of a house. This is what he's saying. Anybody who wants to, all are welcome. That's amazing. I've been to a lot of houses, knocked on a lot of doors, and almost every door you come to, there's a welcome mat. I'll go knock on doors, and some people aren't very welcoming. They don't want you there at all. Welcome don't mean welcome. But I've been to some houses, and I can, I can in my mind, I'm thinking of one or two of them. They were, they were strangers to me. And I knocked on their door, and they opened their screen door, they opened their main door, and I said, I'm a preacher, and I'm here to share the gospel with you. I invite you to church. And there were people that just said, Come on in. And that's what Jesus is doing here. I've had people do the, do the opposite. Welcome, man, on the, on the ground. And I, I knock on the door and I say, I'm a preacher. Boom, right in your face. I'm like, eh, not welcome. I almost took a black mark and said, not. Don't want you here. Jesus is not closing the door on you. He's opening up the door and saying, welcome in. And then it gives, here's what you have to do to come in. To step across that line and be in his family. Where there's, where there's acceptance and forgiveness and love and heartwarming. Here's how you can get in. I love this. He says, and I want you guys to follow with me here. This is great. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven. There's three, three phrases here. The first is whosoever. That means the offer is free. The second is shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven. It says there's only one way in. It's faith. You, you say, what's he saying here? He's saying that being a part of his physical family won't get you in his house. 
I like that. That when when uh, when his brothers stand before God at the gates of heaven, if you would, that they will won't stand there and say, "I'm his brother. I get in." That don't get you in. He's not saying here. Well, look at this. Brothers won't get in because they're physical brothers, and that throws everything out. Because in most religions, to be born into a family is to be born into a religion. Let me give you just a couple of examples. If you were Jewish and born of the seed of Abraham, you were automatically born a Jew. You were in. I'm a Jew. If you are Irish, and this is true, and you're born into an Irish family, you're automatically Catholic. If you are born into an Islamic family, you're automatically a Muslim. If you're born into in, in India, you're automatically a Hindu. And I know that in our area, in the Bible Belt, if you're born into a Christian family, you think I'm automatically in. I'm going to heaven. But Jesus says that's not true. It's not about what family you're born into. It's about what family you're born again into. It's not blood that gets you in. It's the blood of Jesus that gets you in. He says, no, what gets you in is not being a part of my physical family. What gets you in is doing the will of my Father which is in heaven. You say, what on earth is that? What does it mean to do the will of your Father? I'll ask you this, and I think you'll like this. I've got, I got ten minutes left. What is the one thing that these disciples had, all of them had in common, that the rest of the crowd and his physical family on the outside didn't have? These disciples believed in him, and the rest of them didn't. These disciples believed that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the brothers on the outside didn't believe that. They believed he was crazy for thinking he was the Son of God. The Pharisees and the scribes and the crowd all thought he was of the devil. The one thing that every one of these disciples around his feet had in common was faith in Jesus Christ. You said, well, that's just you thinking that's what it is. No, no, no. I want you to turn with me to a couple places. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 6. I want you to, to, to be there. I want you to see this with your own eyes. I don't want you to just, just trust me on this. Uh, and it's okay to trust me on this, but I want you to see it with your own eyes. John chapter 6, verse 28. Because it must do the will of my Father. And then John chapter 6, verse 28. Then they said unto him, What shall we do? What, that we might work the works of God. What, what do you want us to do? And Jesus answered unto them and said, This is the work of God. This is the will of God. This is what you must do. That you believe on him that he has sent. The one thing that those disciples had in common was they had done the work of God, which is believed in his Son. When Jesus was baptized, what did the Father in heaven say? This is my Son, believe in him. On the Mount of Transfiguration, when the Father spoke from heaven, he said, this is my Son, listen to him, believe in him. The only message that heaven has ever given us, the only work, the only will of the Father, is that we believe in his Son. That's what we do. That's how we get into his family, is we believe in his Son. We confess his Son. We obey his Son. We follow his Son. The Father's message, the Father's will, the Father's work is for us to believe in his son. And if you believe in his son, you become a part of the family. 
I love that. He says that there. If you do the will of my Father, I'll take you to another passage. You don't have to turn there, but I'll lock this one. Matthew 7. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall I enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. What's the will of the Father? That we believe in his Son. What's the will of the Father? That we believe in his Son. If you believe in his Son, the doors are open and you get to be in the family. If you believe in his Son, that's great. And he says there at the end of verse 50, I'm closing. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the outcome is. The same is my brother, sister, and mother. The same is my family. If you believe in the Son, you'll be the same as these guys here. You'll be a part of my family too. Are you ready for this? Here's what you get. And I know you may say, oh, great, we're part of the family. No, 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 no. The greatest privilege and blessing in life is being a part of the family of God. You say, what does it get me? Romans 8 says, that when we believe, we are given the Spirit of God, but thereby which we cry, Abba, Father. That when we step in, and we're still using the house analogy, the door is open, it's for whosoever, but if you want to cross that threshold, you must believe in the Son. And when you get in, the first thing that you cry out is Abba, Father. You now have God as your Father. What an amazing reality. What an amazing relationship. Before you cross that threshold, God was your judge. And after you cross that threshold and believe in his son, God is your father in heaven. And you are a part of his family. And you have the deepest of love and the deepest of acceptance. And you can pray what Jesus prayed in the Lord's Prayer, Our Father which art in heaven. And you can come boldly before the throne of grace and seek for help in our time of need. You can have place is we have a home with God. Not only that, Romans 8 says we have an inheritance laid up. It calls it imperishable, unfading, eternal, that will never be taken away. And when you become a part of the family, immediately you have an inheritance. My boys are sitting here, my girls are sitting here right now. You know what their inheritance is from me? It's not much. When I die, they don't get much. I don't have much. But when we die, we get an inheritance from the Father that is infinitely greater than the crown jewels that's in England themselves. We get to be in, in heaven with the Father for all eternity. It's an amazing reality. Not only do you get the, the Father, that's my favorite part. When you believe in the Son, you get the Father. John 14, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man gets to the Father but by believing in me. So when you believe in the Son, you get the Father, and you get his family. I like that. What do we all, as a church, if you've hung with me this long, you're, you're, you're doing well, what do we all have in common in the church? There's one thing. I like this. You, you, there's a little joke I heard the other day, the, the dad joke. But what does Winnie the Pooh and John the Baptist have in common? 
I'll let you think about it. You can call me, and you can, you can, you can see him I'm posing a question here. What does Winnie the Pooh and John the Baptist have in common? This is a dad joke, and you're all going to roll your eyes, and I, I get it. I understand it. I, I thought about not telling this, but, okay, what does Winnie the Pooh and John the Baptist have in common? And the answer is, they have the same middle name, the. I know that's not a funny joke at all, Gracie, if you rolled your eyes, but that's, that's, they have the same middle name. And they have one little tiny thing in common. And so we look at ourselves as a church, and I wish you were here today, and we were lining up this side, and we were lining up this side, and we had everybody down this side, and everybody down the aisle down that way. We were all gathered together here, and we would all look around and say, what do we have in common? There's all kinds of differences among us. Some of us from Appalachia, some of us from God's country down in Pound, some of us from Lee County, some of us from Kingsport, some of us from, from everywhere around, all over the place. Some of us different different colors, some of us different backgrounds, some of us have white collars and blue collars. We have all kinds of different places, all kinds of different things. What's the one thing that brings us together that we all have in common? We all believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what makes us family. We believe in Him. We love Him. We serve Him. We confess Him. We preach Him. Our common union is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the deeper our love is for Christ, the stronger our bond is as a church. That's what holds us together. That's what keeps us together. If a church ever starts uh, separating and fighting and not getting along, you know what a pastor should do? Preach Christ more so that everybody loves him, believes in him, serves him, and says he's the main focus. He's the head. He's the shepherd. He's, the, he's the, the vine and we're the branches. It's all about him. He's the groom. We're the bride. This is, this is great. We are all here, brothers and sisters in Christ. Here is a place where we are loved. Here's a place where we're accepted. Here's a place where we're helped. Here's a place where we're encouraged. Here's a place where we're forgiven. Here's a place where we're, there's understanding, where there's accountability, where there is, yes, intervention. If one of you gets out of line, the church loves you enough to step in and intervene. Here's a place where when you walk in these doors, you feel welcomed. Here's a place that when your physical family doesn't want to have anything to do with you anymore because of your faith in Christ that we welcome you with open arms and we become just as and even better than your physical family. This is better than any team. This is better than any club. This is better than any school. This is better than any workplace. When we say we miss our church family and people don't get it and they call us crazy. I've had people look at me and say, what do you miss most, Josh, about this whole quarantine. What do you miss most? And I look at them and I say, and I've told people this repeatedly, I miss my, and I say these words, church family. And they look at me like I'm a nut. You don't miss little Mexico? You don't miss Olive Garden? You don't miss Starbucks? You don't miss going to games? You don't miss the NBA? You don't miss the, the Major League Baseball games? You don't miss, and they start naming all these things, and I'm sitting there thinking, you either have you're either not a part of the family of God, or you've never been in a family like this, because you don't understand how privileged it is to be a part of the family of God. 
What a blessing it is. Galatians 6, 9 and 10 says, We are the household of faith. We are a household of those people who put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a privilege. Now let me say this and I'll close. I'm working on that. I, I don't want to say I'm going to close 30 minutes into a sermon and then not close for 31 minutes. So I'm only going to say that once. But if, if you have your Bibles, I think this is interesting. You might not find it that way. But if you want to turn to James, James chapter 1, verse 1. It's the last place I'll have you turn. James 1, verse 1. And if you didn't know this, James, that wrote this book of James, is Jesus' brother. The one who didn't believe in him in Matthew 12. And in James 1, verse 1, James introduces himself many years later after the crucifixion. At some point between Matthew 12 and James 1, James became a believer in Jesus. Probably in the upper room. But here's what James says. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He could have easily said, and if, I, if most of us was writing this book and we were half-brothers with Jesus, the first thing we would have said to get people to listen to us would be, James, Jesus' brother. <laughs> or, or even better, James, Jesus' favorite brother. But no, no, that's not what he says, because it's not the physical that matters, it's the spiritual that matters. So he says, James, and the word there he uses, servant, it's, it's the word doulos, which means slave, that I have submitted, I have bowed, I have believed, I have confessed, and I'm now following Jesus, not as my brother, but as my Lord and as my Savior. Get this, I want to read it again. James, and I want, I want to read it as if the Greek was, was spoken here. James, a bond slave of God and not of his brother Jesus but of the Lord Jesus Christ he didn't believe Jesus was the Christ the son of the living God and here in James 1 the Christ he is now a believer you say Josh that's pretty good I know it's, pretty, it's really good I'll give you one more turn a few pages over to Jude the last book before Revelation should be just one page in your Bibles. I'm closing. Somewhere between, and Jude is also Jesus' brother, who wrote the book of Jude. Somewhere between Matthew 12 and the writing of Jude, Jude became a believer. And when Jude writes the book of Jude and introduces himself in the, in the first verse, he says this. And if you're there, <laughs> you can see it for yourself. And, you're, and I hope you do, because as I was reading through this, I just my jaw was like, wow. Jude. Verse 1, the bond slave of Jesus Christ and brother to James. I'm the brother of James. And he could have said Jude, the brother of Jesus and the brother of James. But instead he says Jude, the bond slave of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. He uses the spiritual connection with Jesus. I believe in him, I confess him, I follow him, 
I serve him, I love him, not as my physical brother, but as my Lord, my Savior, and my Christ. They became part of the family of God. So their offer, the offer was accepted. And I love that the offer still stands. That you today, sitting there across this screen from me, if you believe in Christ, if you acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God, you can become today a full-fledged member of the family of God. With all the benefits, with all the privileges, as close to the Father as anyone else. That you're not left on the outside when you cross that threshold, but you get to go all the way in and be as close as me, as close as his brothers. That you get to become a part of the family of God. The greatest blessing and the greatest privilege in all the world is being a part of the family of God. And if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today, and you 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 got to believe it's not whether you're physically born into a Christian family or you was raised in a Christian church or you know all the Christian doctrines and teachings. It's about whether you believe in from your heart the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you do, because my kids need to hear this today, it's not about my. I, I got my kids with me here today. They're sitting here. They need to know this. You're not a Christian today because you were raised in a preacher's home. Or you were raised in a Christian home. Or you was in church even when everybody else was at home. You're a Christian because you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you get in. That's how you become a part of the family of God. The only way in. And I'll say this. If, you, if you're not, please believe in Christ. Do it today. And you'll be a part of the family of God. And if you are a part of the family of God. And you are a believer. And my church family that's watching this right now, there's an old song, and I don't want to sing it. We used to sing it at First Baptist Church in Pound when I first got saved. And it touched my heart because I was really glad. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this star. For I'm a part of the family, the family of God. What you need to do today, church, is be glad you're a part of the family of God. It's the greatest blessing and the greatest privilege in all the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words. I pray that our church families' hearts are rejoicing today that we get to be a part of the, the family of God. And I pray for those who are unbelievers out there today, and I hope there's some watching, that they're scrolling through Facebook, and they came across this sermon, and they heard the gospel, that all they have to do is believe in who Jesus is and what he did for them on the cross, and they can be a part of the family of God. May you, God, by your spirit, cross the airways, convict their hearts, open their ears and their eyes, that they may believe today and become a part of the family of God. And I look forward to one day here being with my family, my church family again. And I look forward to, God, one day being in heaven with all of God's people. A big family reunion one day. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.